we read Philippians chapter 2, reading at verse 5. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. <clears throat> As you know, these words form one of the most uh, complete statements regarding the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ that we have in the whole of the scriptures. And Paul's purpose in using them is uh, to uh, present them to the Philippian Christians as the ground on which they are to model their own lives. You know that over and over again you have this emphasis in the scriptures. You have a doctrinal statement given and then that doctrine is to be applied to the life of the Christian. And that is why it is a pointless exercise, really, to uh, think that, uh, a pointless exercise to have a, live a life that is characterized by what people refer to as devotion. You cannot really have devotion without doctrine. You cannot live a life that glorifies God without that life being regulated by the teachings of the Word of God. And that, in effect, is what you have here. Paul is speaking about the person and the work, the life and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he speaks about it, he reminds these Christians in Philippi, he reminds them that they are to have the same mind that characterized Christ in his life and in his work. In other words, it is an application of doctrine, an application of truth to the life. And uh, as we turn to consider these words today, we are to look at what he brings before us here concerning the person and the work of Jesus Christ. 
And all along we are to remember that our Lord was animated by a particular spirit, by a particular attitude of mind as he engaged in the work that these words bring before him. And his application of that to ourselves is this, that we too are to cultivate this mind, to apply this attitude and to live in the same spirit in which our Lord Jesus Christ came into the world and lived and died in this world. First of all then, let us look at the state of the doctrine that is here enunciated. The example of Jesus Christ in his incarnation. And we will, in the light of these words, consider first of all what he was. We are told that he was in the form of God. And then we will look secondly at what he became or took to himself. He took to himself the form of a servant. Now these are the two thoughts really that are uh, presented to us in these words. First of all what Jesus was and then secondly what he became. First of all then what he was. We are told here in verse 5 that in verse 6 that he was in the form of God. Now when Paul wrote this letter in the first century the word forum was an important one in the thinking of men and women. It is said that most things in those days were spoken of with reference to their master and to their form. What a thing was made of and what it was like. Now the word forum could be defined briefly in this way as the body of characterizing qualities which constitute a thing the body of the, 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 of, of, uh, the, the, the characterizing qualities which uh, constitute a thing the, the specific character of a thing now one way in which this is illustrated in this way one of the American theologians illustrate it in this way. Take, he says, a ship, a sword, a knife, a fork. Now, all these things are made of steel. These things are made of steel. But all these things have their own form, have their own characteristics which determine that they are what they are. So that no person is in left any doubt that a fork is a fork because they know the form of a fork, the characteristics, the distinguishing features of a fork in the same way as they recognize the distinguishing features of a sword. I suppose that putting it simply we could say this, that when we use the word forum we are thinking of the things that make a thing the thing it is. Whatever that thing may be in your mind, in your thinking, 
whatever you think of. That thing has a particular form, it has, it has particular features, characteristics and qualities. And these things make that the thing it is, and it is nothing else. It cannot be anything else. It is distinctively that, and nothing else. Notice the apostle. This Jesus Christ was in the form of God. In other words, all the distinguishing characteristics of God belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what are the things that make God that make God God? God is no ordinary person. God is distinctively separate. God is God and no one else. What are the things that make God God? Well, those of us who know our sort of catechism are acquainted with it know that it gives a very good definition of God. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness and truth. These are the things that are, that are true of God. His, his eternity, his immutability, his infinity, his omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence. These are the distinguishing features of God. These things are true of no one else but God. They are what theologians refer to as the incommunicable attributes of God. My glory I will give to none other. He cannot. These things make God God. And says Paul, Jesus Christ was none other than God. He possessed all the distinguishing features that make God God. You know that there are some sects who claim to believe the Bible and yet who don't accept the Bible's teaching with reference to the Son of God. Take for example the Jehovah's Witness. They might knock on your door. They might distribute some literature. You might engage them in conversation. But they would never accept that Jesus Christ is essentially, completely, really God himself. He is all that God is. Now that's what, this, that's what these terms mean. He was in the form of God. All that God essentially is Jesus Christ is. All the glory and all the splendor that belongs to God belongs also to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the dignity of his possession. The dignity of his being. He is God. Now then, what did this person become. And we are told here in verse 7, he took upon him the form of a servant. That's the second point we have here, what he became. Now, here we have the same word, form. Now, if the form of God means all that God essentially is, then 
Similarly, it follows that the form of a servant means all that a servant essentially is. This is the mode of existence into which God came when he became man. People regularly, and probably with some justification, find fault with ministers, with us as ministers, for using terms which people do not understand. And they think that because we use them often and think about them that we, we think that everyone else ought to know what they mean. One such word is the word incarnation. And you know the way it's it usually, it's it invariably used, the incarnate God. So, we just sort of take a breather here along the way and remind ourselves that when we speak of these, of, 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 when we use that word, what we mean is that that act in the history of this world by which God became man. And the Confession of Faith tells us that at that act began when the Holy Spirit used the substance of Mary to form the human nature of our Lord. It was formed within the womb of the Virgin Mary. Now, God took that nature to himself. That was the act of the Incarnation. And in that nature, God was born into the world. That was God manifested in the flesh. So in that nature, what we are told here is this, that God became all that a servant is. And before he could become a servant, he had to take the nature of a servant to himself. He had to become man. He had to become man. Just in a minute, for various reasons. In that nature, he became a servant. Now that was the first that he took in this act of, in this life of service. The first step he had to take was to become one of us. And so we read here. He was made in the likeness of men. Now, together with other things, it means this. He became really and truly a human being. If he was really and truly in the form of God as he was, if he was really and truly God, so in the history of this world, this God became really and truly man. And he was born a babe into this world, really and truly a baby. Really and truly a baby. 
and he grew up in this world really and truly a boy a youth an adolescent a man so we read here he was found in fashion as a man that means that and this is the record that we have in the Bible and in secular history everyone who came in contact with him recognized him to be really and truly a man as a matter of fact some of them went beyond that as we sang here this morning they treated him less than a man you know there are some people in the world today who are treated like that they aren't treated as human beings at all by people they aren't treated as people who are on an equal footing with other human beings they are a shade less than that in the estimate of some people but you look at what they said of the Lord Jesus Christ look at the words of prophecy we sang here this morning in Psalm 22 but as for me he said I'm not considered as a man people look at me as being less than a man I am prized by them as a worm a mere worm of the dust not fit to be in the company of other people not fit to be in this world at all just fit to be trodden on the fruit of men and treated like a worm well you see all that indicates to you how people who lived with the Lord Jesus viewed him he was in their estimation no more than a man and in the estimate of many far less than a man a worm he was found in fashion as a man this was a testimony of his contemporaries is this not the son of Mary and jo Joseph do we not know his brothers and his sisters how does this man know letters how did he come to have this learning who set this man up over us this man this man this man this man until that great moment in the history of the world when Pilate said behold the man you see he was in every sense of the word in the form of a servant he took the nature of a servant Amen. he couldn't serve otherwise without taking human nature to himself and in that nature he entered into the place of a servant he was seen he moved around he dealt with people and people dealt with him he was in the place of a servant but the thrust of this passage is not so much on the nature of the servant not on the place of the servant but rather on the spirit of the servant this is what the whole thrust of the passage now moves toward the mind that was in this person as he served the spirit that he manifested as he dealt with people in the world 
But what are we told about this spirit? Well, something very interesting. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, and let this mind, remember, be in you. We are not to consider this statement purely as a doctrinal one, a theological one. It has something to say to us about the way in which you and I are to live in this world. We are to exercise the same spirit as the Lord Jesus Christ did. Let us then look at the spirit that he exercised as he undertook the work of a servant. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. No, equality as we saw in having the form of God being essentially God being that gave him a dignity of position consistent with the nature that he possessed the nature that he possessed was the nature of God and the dignity of his position was equality with God these are words which speak to us of the splendor and the dignity and the honor of the position that he occupied because of the nature that he possessed. His nature was the nature of God and his position was equality with God. And this was his spirit. He thought it not robbery to have that position. Now, of course, as you know, some of you, there are various shades of meaning to this statement. Let's confine ourselves just to one. Robbery is an act that people indulge in, engage in, to make what is not their own, their own. And to retain for themselves what is not their own. But the Lord Jesus had a position of equality with God that was really his own. But this is the point. Glorious and exalted and dignified though it was, he was of such a mind that he wasn't prepared to hold on to it. He was prepared to put it to one side in the interests of another, or rather in the interests of others. And remember the force of the declaration, let this mind be in you. That's the force of it. What Jesus had was his, essentially, and what was his by nature, he was prepared to put to one side so that others could benefit. What you and I have are not ours by nature. What we have, God has given to us, whatever it is. Whatever our position, our station, our dignity, our honor, our position in life, whatever it is, it has been given to us. 
Not so with Jesus, he, oh the Lord, he possessed it eternally as God. You and I have been given by God. Let this mind be in you. In other words, you and I had to, had to be prepared to put to one side whatever God has given to us in the interests of other people. Let us illustrate it. Perhaps someone has a claim upon your time and even upon your possession, if not upon your position. Maybe the immediate reaction of the heart to that claim is this. If, you, if, you, if we don't say it, certainly we, we say it in the spirit that we, at some, that we sometimes adopt. Do you realize who I am? Do you realize what I am? Do you realize where I am? And so some poor soul whose needs could be met by you putting to one side your own interests and your own self-importance and your own self-assertiveness. That poor person could have benefited if you had done that isn't benefited. Why? Because you haven't cultivated the mind that was in Christ Jesus. I don't think that there is anything in all in 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 in, 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 in um, there is anything really in life that is so alien to the spirit of Christ as a proud spirit. A self assertive spirit. A spirit of self-dependence. So that everyone is steamrolled into the ground in the interests of this so-called strong, self-assertive spirit of yours. Well, if that is your spirit, my friend, if that is mine, it is very contrary to the spirit of Christ. He was on an equality with God. What are we told? He made himself of no reputation. He made himself of no reputation. Now as you know, this world has been very unfortunately translated as the Lord F.D himself. And there are some people who have gone so far as to claim on the basis of it that what happened when God became man was this, that God ceased to be God. He emptied himself of all the essential qualities of God. But you see, that could never be because God must always be God. Essential. Eternally. In the time honored words of Augustine, though, that are attributed to somebody else, though he became what he was not, that is man, he remained what he was, that is God. He never ceased to be God. 
never ceased to be God, though he became man. What else did he do? Well, in the interest of a sinful world, he laid, if you might put it like this, he laid, as it were, his own, he placed placed his own interest to one side. Some other have put it like this, he veiled his glory. Or he entered into a mode of existence in which he who was eternally God in our nature became dependent upon another. And maybe that is where the wonder of the incarnation is seen that's nowhere else. That the self-existent Jehovah became a man in whose nature he became dependent upon others. Now there are very very many ways in which we are given insights into this. Take for example his conception and his birth. Now he was truly, really, and miraculously conceived by the power of the Spirit within the womb of Mary. And in that womb, like any other child, life was communicated to his human nature by the one who was bearing him. When he was born into this world, like any other child, she ministered to him. Her life again sustained him. And he who was her creator from all eternity entered into a mode of existence in which as a creature he became dependent upon the creature of his own heart. That was the spirit that was in Christ. He entered into a position and came into a condition in which he became dependent upon other people. Or on equality with God. And yet he made himself of no reputation. He laid his interest to one side because of its consuming passion for the interests of others in the interests of others it was his intention it was his desire it was his will to come into this world to to better, if you want to use that, to better the condition and the lot of people who were in this world. That was his mind. That was his spirit. He came, as the New Testament tells us, that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. And to do that, he had to enter into this mode of existence in which he was a servant. And that's not all. In that place and in that condition, in that mode of existence, existence, he took to himself the work of a servant, not just the nature and the spirit 
but the work of a servant. This is, and this is the work of a servant. This is what characterizes a servant. Obedience. Obedience. He became obedient. He humbled himself that he might become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now this was the nature of a service, obedience, not to the will of man, but to the will of God. And every step that he took while he was in this world was a step of obedience to the will of God, every step. Lo, we sang here this morning again the words of prophecy in Psalm 40, Lo, I come to do thy will. You know how the, epistle, how the apostle to the Hebrews uses these words in Psalm 4. When he, comes in, when he cometh into the world, he says, No, I come. Now we know, you just stop and think about these words just for a minute. No baby born into the world has ever spoken. Cried, yes. Whimpered, yes. But has never spoken. That has never been known. And Jesus, when he was born, didn't speak either. He developed like a normal, like an ordinary baby. He didn't speak. What then does the apostle mean when he says, when he comes into the world, he says, in Hebrews chapter 10, Lo, I come to do thy will. Well, just this, that his very coming into the world was an act that spoke, an act that spoke of his willing obedience to the will of God. And in the world, as he lived in the world, as he moved towards that great act of obedience, of, of death on the cross, every, every movement was one of obedience to the will of God. This was the thing that characterized Jesus. I am come, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Let this mind be in you. Not my will, but thy will be done. How do you and I live? Oh, you and I live at times as though nothing else mattered but our will. Not what anyone else says, but what I say. I don't care what other people say. I don't care what other people think. It's what I want to do. Well, my friend, there was never an instant in the history of this world when that thought raised its head in the life of Jesus. Never. He was in this world not to do his own will but the will of him that sent him. And this is Christ-likeness in its very essence. Willingness to do what God wants me to do no matter what it costs me. And therefore he says here, he became obedient unto death. That was the extent of his obedience. That was how far he went to death. And that's not the end of it. Even the death of the cross. Why does he use that word even? 
just to show us that this was no ordinary death, that he was prepared to die. It was an obedience unto death, yes. And you know that there are many people who are, you know, I heard recently of the death of a beloved Christian brother. He had a wonderful deathbed. And his brother, seemingly, said of him to the, man, to, to the man's widow, you know, he said, speaking of him, of, of, of him by name, by no, his name was Norman, you know, he said, Norman's death, the way he died, made it easy for us all to accept his death. He had a wonderful deathbed in which he was so reconciled to the will of God. But you see, Jesus' death was no ordinary death. It was the death of the cross. It was our death. The death that you and I deserve to die. The death upon which the curse of God hung and within which the wrath of God lay. And he died that death. He was obedient even to that extent. That's the meaning of it. To death, yes. But to a death that was no ordinary death, even to that extent, he was obedient to the will of God. Therefore, he says, God highly exalted him. Because of what he did, he was given this place now in the presence of God the Father, gloriously exalted. Remembering that, therefore, let this mind be in you. You know what I think it leaves us just with this one great question. To what extent am I prepared to follow Christ? To what length was he prepared to go to the very ultimate, the death of the cross? To what length am I prepared to go? That's what this passage, that's the question it leaves us with. How far am I prepared to go to imitate the mind that was in Christ? And you know, the more the mind of Christ fills our thoughts, the more I think we should we, are, we do respond, the more we respond in the spirit of the psalmist. What shall I render to the Lord for all his gifts? Me. Let us pray.